But uh, as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Oh, really? Really, do they? President Biden, aren't you exactly like Donald Trump? What's the difference? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. They're all the same. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Am I right? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Both sides. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow insists me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the bradcast we have got uh, two major stories to hit today there's sort of uh, several stories within each of those two stories a kaleidoscope of related stories if you will (laughs) hi desi doyan hi you will Anyway, the the moral I think to both of them, uh, spoiler alert, is uh, is the same in both cases. Transparency and public oversight are good things in politics, even when transparency and public oversight may annoy you. It is still a very good thing for everybody in a democracy. So let's begin with this one first. And just in case you were wondering, there is no both sidesism here. It is not even close. It is not even a close call. But I'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Let me start with one part of this story before we get to the other part of this story and the new news about that other part of that story that you probably haven't heard, sadly, given all of the noise and misdirection and poorly considered news coverage by cable and other corporate news outlets on the uh, the first part of this story, uh, these folks hoping to you know prove their nonpartisan bona fides to you by working hard to level out a decidedly unlevel playing field. That's very nice for the bad guys. It doesn't work well for a more informed and educated electorate. But the bad guys, of course, are relying on the corporate media to do just that for them. And as usual, corporate media delivers. Anyway, as I said, we'll start here. On Thursday morning, Richard Sauber, a special counsel to President Joe Biden, released this statement, quote, 
As we stated previously, we are fully cooperating with the National Archives and the Department of Justice in a process to ensure that any Obama-Biden administration records are appropriately in possession of the archives. Following the discovery of government documents at the Penn-Biden Center in November of 2022 and coordinating closely with the Department of Justice, the president's lawyers have searched the president's Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach, Delaware residences, the other locations where files from his vice presidential office might have been shipped in the course of the 2017 transition. The lawyers completed that review last night. That would be Wednesday night. During the review, the lawyers discovered among personal and political papers a small number of additional Obama-Biden administration records with classified markings. All but one of those documents were found in storage space in the president's Wilmington residence garage. One document consisting of one page was discovered among stored materials in an adjacent room. No documents were found in the Rehoboth Beach residence. Rehoboth, thank you. Uh, the residents there, as was done in the case of the Penn Biden Center, the Department of Justice was immediately notified and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of these documents. The White House will continue to cooperate with the review of the Department of Justice. Of course, I uh, I read that statement and thought to myself, oh, OK, good. I hope that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, will now name a special counsel as a bunch of Republicans have been clamoring for over the last, uh, I don't know, 24, 48 hours with much phony outrage. Following the initial disclosure of an initial batch of about 10 classified documents that were disclosed to have been found at Biden's former office space at the Penn Biden Center uh, on Monday afternoon. So why was I hoping that, oh, good, they'll appoint a special counsel? Well, one of the reasons is that a special counsel probe, unlike a regular DOJ investigation, must result in a report being produced and submitted at the end. And those reports are usually made public, unlike a regular DOJ investigation, which either ends with an indictment or otherwise just disappears entirely without comment by the investigators, by the prosecutors. I have nothing against special counsel probes or any other kind of investigation, I should note, including those by folks in Congress, even when they are investigating something merely for show, when they are, you know, doing one of these stupid investigations, whether it's, you know, trying to trick Hillary Clinton into admitting she personally killed people in Benghazi, <laughs> or whether it's about Hunter Biden's laptop, as we're going to see uh, in the in the coming uh, weeks and months from this new Congress. And I think that almost always... These investigations, well, they either help to expose a crime or, as in the case of the phony probes by the Republicans, Congress, you know, ends up making them look like dopes in the end. So I really don't have any problem with investigations, uh, legitimate ones or otherwise. Another reason why a special counsel makes sense here in the case of these Biden documents is because a special counsel was appointed to oversee the probe of Donald Trump's purposeful theft of thousands of pages of classified documents and his refusal to return them over a period of more than a year 
even after being asked very nicely and nonetheless refusing to return them all and then being subpoenaed for them all and still refusing to return them all and even lying about having returned them all and then having them taken by force via the execution of an FBI search warrant, which was approved by a federal judge who determined that there was probable cause that an ongoing crime was actually being committed in the retention of the highly classified documents by the former president at his home in Mar-a-Lago, a period that unfolded over about a year and a half. Now, a special counsel in that case was only appointed by Garland After the inquiry, like I said, uh, more than a year after the inquiry was underway because Donald Trump announced that he intended to run for president again. So an independent special counsel needed to be named to investigate that and the other major DOJ federal grand jury probe of Trump. That's regarding his incitement of an insurrection on January 6, 2021. That was all, as I see it, completely appropriate. In any event, not long after the latest revelation by Biden's lawyers on Thursday morning uh, regarding these additional documents that were found after a search carried out by Joe Biden's attorneys themselves, Joe Biden's attorney general announced his appointment of a special counsel to probe the discovery of documents with classified markings from the president's uh, current president's years serving as vice president under Barack Obama. After initially asking John Lausch, a top Justice Department official uh, who is still serving as U.S. attorney in Chicago to investigate the matter, Lausch was appointed by Donald Trump. The attorney general announced on Wednesday that a former U.S. attorney also appointed by Donald J. Trump, a man by the name of Robert Hur would now be appointed as a special counsel to investigate the Biden documents since, of course, Joe Biden not only uh, appointed uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland, but Joe Biden is himself running for president, theoretically, in 2024. Here's A.G. Garland's full announcement of all of this on Thursday. Good afternoon. I'm here today to announce the appointment of Robert Herr as a special counsel pursuant to Department of Justice regulations governing such matters. In keeping with those regulations, I have today notified the designated members of each House of Congress of the appointment. I'm joined today by John Lausch, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, who conducted the initial investigation into the matter that I will describe today. On the evening of November 4th, 2022, the National Archives Office of Inspector General contacted a prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It informed him that the White House had notified the archives that documents bearing classification markings were identified at the office of the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement located in Washington, D.C. That office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. The prosecutor was also advised that those documents had been secured in an archives facility. On November 9th, the FBI commenced an assessment consistent with standard protocols to understand whether classified information had been mishandled in violation of federal law. On November 14th, pursuant to Section 600.2B of the Special Counsel Regulations, I assigned U.S. Attorney Lausch 
to conduct an initial investigation to inform my decision whether to appoint a special counsel. Mr. Lausch has served as the U.S. Attorney in Chicago since 2017. Before that, he spent more than a decade as an assistant U.S. Attorney in that same office. I selected him to conduct the initial investigation because I was confident his experience would ensure that it would be done professionally and expeditiously. On December 20th, President Biden's personal counsel informed Mr. Lausch that additional documents bearing classification markings were identified in the garage of the president's private residence in Wilmington, Delaware. President Biden's counsel informed Mr. Lausch that those documents were among other records from the period of the president's service as vice president. The FBI went to the location and secured those documents. On January 5th, 2023, Mr. Lausch briefed me on the results of his initial investigation and advised me that further investigation by a special counsel was warranted. Based on Mr. Lausch's initial investigation, I concluded that under the special counsel regulations, it was in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. In the days since, while Mr. Lausch continued the investigation, the department identified Mr. Herr for appointment as special counsel. This morning, President Biden's personal counsel called Mr. Lausch and stated that an additional document bearing classification markings was identified at the president's personal residence in Wilmington, Delaware. When I first contacted Mr. Lausch about this matter, he said he could lead the initial investigation but would be unable to accept any longer-term assignment because he would be leaving the department in early 2023 for the private sector. U.S. Attorney Lausch and his team of prosecutors and agents have conducted this initial investigation with professionalism and speed. I am grateful to them. Earlier today, I signed an order appointing Robert Herr a special counsel for the matter I've just described. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day -day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures, and policies of the department. Mr. Herr has a long and distinguished career as a prosecutor. In 2003, he joined the department's criminal division, where he worked on counterterrorism, corporate fraud, and appellate matters. From 2007 until 2014, Mr. Herr served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland, where he prosecuted matters ranging from violent crime to financial fraud. In 2017, Mr. Herr rejoined the department as the principal associate deputy attorney general. In 2018, he was nominated and confirmed to serve as a U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland. As U.S. attorney, he supervised some of the department's more important national security, public corruption, and other high-profile matters. I will ensure that Mr. Herr receives all the resources he needs to conduct his work. As I have said before, I strongly believe that the normal processes of this department can handle all investigations with integrity. But under the regulations, the extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. I am confident that Mr. Herr 
will carry out his responsibility in an even-handed and urgent manner and in accordance with the highest traditions of this department. Thank you all. Have you ever spoken to the president about this investigation, sir? And that was it. Uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland walked off. Yes, he answered Um, zero questions. Correct. So that was uh, the Attorney General at the Department of Justice on Thursday morning. Cool. So investigate it. Have a special counsel. Let us know if any crimes have been committed or, by the way, if they haven't been committed. And indict anyone, yes, including a sitting president, in my opinion, if it turns out that they need indicting. Or let us know if there is no need for an indictment, if an indictment would not be appropriate. Cool. Okay. But, uh, you know, so I feel I've been uh, overly, uh, well, not overly, but uh, I've been generous with, you know, explaining that story. That's about all we know at this time. Nonetheless, over the last three days or so, we have watched Republicans and some of their apparatchik on cable news pretend that these two cases, the cases of Joe Biden and his documents that were found, the documents you know found and reported and returned by his lawyers and the hundreds of documents that were actually hidden by Trump and lied about by him as he repeatedly refused to return them over and over and over again, even after receiving a federal subpoena signed by a federal judge, pretending that both of those cases are totally the same thing. Of course, they obviously are not at least not based on the existing evidence that we have right now. So do we really even need to pretend that the two cases are the same? Well, we don't. But the corporate media certainly does benefit from the bigger clicks that they get from pretending that they are and saying, are they the same? Click through to find out. Can Merrick Garland and Jack Smith, Special Counsel Jack Smith, possibly bring charges against Donald Trump for classified documents now that Joe Biden has done the exact same thing? As you may or may not have noticed, the charges uh, being investigated by the DOJ and then the special counsel in the Trump case are not based on the fact that uh, many of the documents were classified, but rather that Donald Trump purposely took them took them in knowing violation of the law and obstructed justice in preventing them from being returned and lied about it all to federal officials. All of those are various crimes that Trump wouldn't even currently be investigated for had he simply returned the documents at any time in this process when he was asked by the National Archives originally to return them or if he had returned them when they were subsequently subpoenaed, when he was subsequently subpoenaed for them, or even if he had returned them all when he claimed that he returned them all after receiving that subpoena. But While the corporate media is distracting you with pretend outrage from Republicans and questions like, oh, can Merrick Garland possibly bring charges against Trump after Joe Biden did the exact same thing? He hasn't. And it's a grave disservice to the electorate to even suggest as much, at least at this point. As all of this has been going on, here's what the bulk of the corporate U.S. media has not been reporting, as noted by the U.K. Guardian this week. 
The U.S. Justice Department is intensifying its investigation of Donald Trump's unauthorized retention of national security material as it prepares to question the people who searched the former president's properties at the end of last year and found more documents with classified markings. The department was given a general explanation from Trump's lawyers at the time about who conducted the search, a company said to be known to Trump with experience handling classified records cases. Really? Who are they? That's what the department was told when the new documents marked as classified were returned to the government around Thanksgiving of last year. But the department is reportedly not happy with that accounting of what happened. And just last week, when we were all watching the shiny object in the U.S. House as Kev McCarthy needed 15 ballots to get himself elected as speaker by his own caucus, just last week, the department convinced a federal judge in a sealed hearing to force Donald Trump's lawyers to give the names of the people who retrieved these documents with an intent to question them directly about the documents that, according to sources familiar with the matter reported by The Guardian. In other words, the Trump legal team has been re still refusing to cooperate with the Department of Justice by even telling them the names of the people who supposedly discovered these documents so that those people could be asked about them. The DOJ even had to go to a federal judge and hold a sealed hearing to try and force Trump's attorneys to give them the names. Now, does that sound like the same case as the Joe Biden case to you? The move by prosecutors to ask a federal judge to compel the information, according to The Guardian, marks the latest escalating twist in the criminal investigation into Trump's potential unauthorized retention of highly sensitive government documents, as well as his obstruction of justice. The pattern, the paper reports, of prosecutors now seeking judicial intervention at every turn, even now, signals an aggressive posture from the recently appointed special counsel, Jack Smith, who is overseeing that investigation. The DOJ told Trump's legal team in October that it suspected the former president was still in possession of additional documents with classified markings, even after the FBI had seized hundreds of sensitive materials when agents searched his Mar-a-Lago property at the beginning of August last year. After initially resisting department recommendations to retain an outside firm to search his properties for any other classified documents, Trump instead retained people who the department now believes were actually people that were known by the president. They were hired to search his other properties, including Trump Tower in New York, his golf club in New Jersey, Mar-a-Lago again, and a storage unit in Florida. The search carried out by a company described as being known a known entity to the former president turned up at the storage unit at least two more documents with classified markings that were then turned over to prosecutors. But the discovery exasperated the Department of Justice. They were not happy about it. 
which in, in December they had asked the chief U.S. District Court judge for the District of Columbia, Beryl Howell, to hold Trump's office in contempt of the first subpoena that was issued to Trump way back in May, demanding the return of any and all classified documents. This was just in December. They were trying to seek a contempt ruling from the judge because as late as December, they felt the DOJ felt they had not still had not received all the documents back from Trump. The contempt motion was not immediately granted, according to The Guardian, and Judge Howell told prosecutors to work out the matter with Trump's lawyers. But the issue lingered, and the department subsequently asked for the names of the people who were involved in the search, which the Trump lawyers would not even turn over to the DOJ so they could be questioned. Trump's legal team demurred and disputed the prosecutors needed uh, that that prosecutors even needed to know the names. Again, does this sound like the Biden case to you? Eventually, the Guardian reports the Trump team relented, sort of, and offered to make the names available, but only under a protective order because they worried it would leak to the news media. But why would they be concerned about leaking the names of whoever discovered the documents to the news media? Who cares? Is there some reason to cover that up from the public? Well, Team Trump thinks so anyway. Frustrated with the back and forth with the Trump lawyers, the DOJ instead filed a motion in federal court to simply compel the names in a sealed hearing last Thursday before Judge Howell. While we were all distracted by the GOP House nonsense, the judge granted the request after a tense exchange reportedly with the former president's lawyers where she insisted the government needed to know those names. A federal judge had to insist in order to get the names of the people who had found the documents. So the order was issued on Thursday of last week, according to the uh, a, a source for The Guardian, though it is not yet clear whether the Justice Department has issued a has issued subpoenas for testimony from those people before the grand jury that is hearing the evidence in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. They were finally identified after all, it seems. We don't know who they are, but at least the Department of Justice knows who carried out the search. So even with a special counsel probe underway, Donald Trump is apparently still attempting to obstruct that probe. Totally the same thing as President Biden, right? Now, if we ever get to a place where uh, Biden's attorneys or staffers are refusing to testify to the new special counsel, Robert Hur, or not you know, turning over names or information, Robert Hur is the guy who was originally appointed as a U.S. attorney by Donald Trump, just a reminder there. If that ever happens, I will be happy to report on it. But as of now, there is nothing even close to what is going on in the Trump case. Not just initially, but even still now, what is going on in the Trump case. But, you know, if it turns out there is uh, something different, uh, similar in the Biden case, of course, we will let you know. And they will let us know, apparently, a special counsel being uh, appointed now. The special counsel will let us know at the end of this process. They'll either make indictments or they won't, and they'll issue a report. And hopefully we'll get to see the report. So we'll know if there's trouble and we will know if there isn't. That's a good thing. That is win-win. 
So stop complaining. Sunshine and transparency are a good thing. To that end, we've got another story on a completely different matter, but one that tells a similar story nonetheless. That's coming up next on the broadcast. And, oh, Desi Doyen has our latest Green News report, if yep. time allows. If I don't <laughs> blow a gasket, that's coming later on this hour as well. All of that straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yes, please do. Let the sun shine in. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Okay, I had not heard about this next story at all until a few days ago when Alex Wagner... Uh, MSNBC ran sort of a snide, snarky little story about it, about these crazy right-wingers in uh, Pennsylvania County who were just so dumb and deluded and conspiratorial that they, you know, petitioned the county to hold a hand count of the ballots from the 2020 presidential election. All of these years later. Not the 2022 midterms that we just had, but from the 2020 presidential election, which apparently Alec Wagner thought was, it was just hilarious and darling and cute and stupid. And Yeah, they just could not let 2020 go, she said. So I didn't think it was uh, so uh, stupid and hilarious. I think it's kind of sad, frankly, that all these years later, the voters of the county in Pennsylvania still do not know that they if they can or cannot have confidence in the reported results of their presidential election. I think that's a problem. Now, largely, that's because they have been so grotesquely misled about it and that we have these opaque computerized tabulation systems that make it difficult to oversee actual election results by the public without a protracted campaign, apparently, to force officials to allow the public to do so to count those ballots publicly by hand. Yes, there is zero evidence of wrongdoing or fraud or misprogramming or error or miscount in this particular county. But then again, other than simply trusting elections officials, which Democrats would not likely be doing if it was Republicans preventing them from checking results, well, the idea that folks are becoming less confident that election results are accurate, that should be a real concern, it seems to me. Yes, even for Democrats like MSNBC's Alex Wagner. And like investigations of people, as we discussed in the previous segment, I like more transparency and more sunshine rather than less. And if there's nothing to hide here... I believe a legitimate investigation 
just like a legitimate hand count, can actually help add confidence to an increasingly skeptical public. And that seems like a good thing. Yes, many of them are skeptical because they are being manipulated and lied to by some very, very bad people. But that is not necessarily their fault. And they still deserve to have their skepticism answered to with independently verifiable evidence, at least in my opinion. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, if you just tell people, no, you're wrong, you're stupid, stop it, then that's not really going to convince anybody. So, yes, whether it's a special counsel report or a public hand count of hand-marked paper ballots which luckily for voters in Lycoming County, Pennsylvania, were still able to actually count by hand. And presuming the chain of custody has been properly uh, retained and documented, we can know at the end of such a count that the results were either correct or they were not correct. That is a good thing. That is not a bad thing for democracy. We should be celebrating that and taking advantage of that. I mean, if you haven't looked around lately, uh, democracy has been sort of taking a hit, not just around you know the country, but around the world. And if we could restore some confidence in our democracy, maybe that would help. In this case, one might understand the skepticism about the skeptics because Lycoming is a very, very Republican county in the critical swing state of Pennsylvania. In 2016, Donald Trump won the county over Hillary Clinton by more than 44 points. Almost 68% of the vote went to uh, Trump, just 25 and a half for Hillary Clinton that year. It was obviously a romp. There was a third party candidate that year as well, Libertarian Gary Johnson. He picked up about two and a half percent of the vote back in 2016. And then you move the clock forward to 2020, the year in which the county's Republicans were tricked were lied to uh, and tricked into being dubious about the results. Well, that year, Donald Trump only, in quotes, only won by 41 points in 2020 over Joe Biden. There was no third party candidate that year, and Trump actually picked up 6,000 votes over his 2016 total. Joe Biden picked up almost 4,000 votes over Hillary Clinton's 2016 uh, totals. So there was nothing particularly questionable about the results at all. But for whatever reason, good ones or bad ones, Republicans in Lycoming were dubious about the results. I don't know why, but they were. They were probably lied to. Nonetheless, they were dubious. They were skeptical. And that is not good for our democracy. As a uh, media outlet, a new media outlet known as VoteBeat, which is at times also sort of a snide little voting-related media site that uh, really, really supports computer voting and computer vote tallying and loves sort of, you know, calling people who don't care for that, you know, conspiracy theorists. As VoteBeat reported at the beginning of this week, uh, and unfortunately, they did the best coverage of this, so it's it's not terrible coverage, but as they reported, uh, more than two years after the last ballot was counted in the 2020 election, Lycoming County plans to recount all presidential votes by hand, an extraordinary step no other Pennsylvania county has taken. 
County commissioners ordered the recount under pressure from activists associated with an election conspiracy group and against the advice of the local election director who told proponents it would be a poor use of resources and unlikely to show the fraud that they feared. Well, it might be a poor use of resources and it might be unlikely to show the fraud that they feared. But guess what? If it didn't show that fraud, wouldn't that be a good thing? The county vote beat reported on Monday of this week, the day the hand count began, will uh, recount roughly 60,000 ballots in a labor-intensive process that could last as long as three weeks and cost tens of thousands of dollars. Now, I'm not sure where they came up with that three weeks estimate, but that's what they that's what vote beat reports. And if it really would take three weeks, well, get more people to count and it wouldn't take as long. Get twice as many, it would take half as long. There were some 5,000 people, apparently, who signed a petition for this hand count in the first place. I'm sure it wouldn't be that difficult to find counters in the county who could uh, be overseen and double-checked by the public. That's the beauty of hand-marked paper ballots. Anyway, this group, Audit the Vote PA and similar groups that VoteBeat says promote baseless conspiracy theories about elections, have argued for hand, hand recounts and forensic audits across the state, though those, have, those efforts have largely failed. York County, for example, agreed to hand count three precincts in last year's election in 2022, and Butler County performed a smaller hand recount of the 2020 election. VoteBeat doesn't mention it, but it sounds like no problems were found in either of those hand counts. So good, right? They note, uh, but the push for a broader review picked up traction in Lycoming, a largely rural county of slightly more than 100,000 people in north-central Pennsylvania. A petition calling for the recount was signed by 5,000 people. That did not happen in other counties. That uh, push for the recount began after the 2020 election, according to a lawsuit that was filed against the county by Lycoming County Patriots, as well as a statement from the local Audit the Vote PA volunteer and lawyer Karen DeSalvo, uh, former U.S. Army Captain Seth Keschel, a well-known figure in the election denial circles, released a report claiming that Joe Biden's strong performance in places like Lycoming County suggested fraud. He cited growing Republican registration, and dwindling numbers of Democrats and compared that to the fact that Biden received more votes in 2020 than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. But that is not indicative of fraud, according to experts. Registered Democrats and Republicans can decide to cast ballots for a candidate from the other party. On top of that, vote beat notes turnout for all voters across the U.S. was up in 2020. And Biden's totals in the county were, were less than the number of registered Democrats in the county. So nothing really unusual here. In fact, Donald Trump, he gained a greater number of votes relative to the number of new Republican registrations. Nonetheless, they note some people were skeptical. The petition for the recount eventually amassed 5,000 signatures, and in October, the county commissioner commissioners voted along party lines to go ahead and have the hand recount. Again, this does not sound like a terrible thing to me. This sounds like sort of democracy at work. In an interview with VoteBeat, 
this week. The county's election director, Forrest Lehman, said that because there was no precedent for such a hand count in the state, he had to, quote, invent the wheel, basically, to figure out how to do it. So 40 county employees will participate, they report, divided into 20 teams of one counter and one recorder each. Ballots will be divided into batches based on uh, type, in-person ballots, mail-in ballots, provisional ballots. Teams will count one batch at a time. They will they will make a tick on a piece of paper, you know, for each candidate. They will only recount the presidential and the state auditors, gen, auditor general's race for some reason. Why that race? I don't know. This report doesn't say. Uh, the Republican in that contest won over the Democrat as well in Pennsylvania, but whatever. So they'll use tally sheets to record the marks, the choices for candidates, overvotes, write-in votes, and so forth. Lehman said if that sounds inelegant, it's because there is no real elegant way to do a hand count. Actually, it sounds quite elegant to me, to be frank. But Lyman said, quote, you're taking a process that is automated and making it analog. <laughs> and actually, Mr. Lehman you are taking a process that had been analog for decades. For and centuries, then, actually. Yeah, and then it was automated. And then voters began dangerously losing confidence in that elegant and completely non-transparent automated process, which has now helped to threaten democracy itself here in America. So, furthermore, this hand count will be overseen they report by party representatives. It will be open to reporters. Frankly, that sounds both elegant and fantastic to me, frankly. Lehman said he's hoping to complete the bulk of the work in one week. So I don't know where they came up with three weeks. The count was scheduled uh, to continue, however, if needed, through the end of January. The commissioners have estimated the recount will cost roughly $55,000. And Lehman said he will be tracking the expenses. Now, it seems to me that those demanding the hand count should actually have to pay for this hand count unless the contests are somehow overturned, as is the case in other states. That's how we do it here in California. Anyone can ask for a hand count if they're willing to pay for it. But apparently that's not the law in Pennsylvania. So this story makes it sound as if taxpayers will be forced to pick up the bill. That said, I think it's a probably a far smaller cost than the cost of maintaining all of these computerized tabulators that they use each year in Lycoming, where they vote, thankfully, on hand-marked paper ballots. VoteBeat then goes on to obnoxiously and misleadingly tell readers that hand counts are inaccurate, they can't be relied upon, when in fact hand counts are the gold standard for democracy. And if you haven't noticed, in the absolute closest races, that is what they do to ensure that the results are accurate. Human beings examine each and every ballot. Or at least in the states that do it right, like, for example, Minnesota, where where they counted millions of ballots by hand in an incredibly close statewide U.S. Senate race back in 2008. And everyone was able to agree on all of the ballots, all I think it was three and a half million votes or something, as I recall, on every single ballot except for less than a dozen 
at the time. All were hand examined by all the political parties, all the public, all the media. At the end, nobody claimed that the count was wrong. And I would argue that is a very good thing for democracy. Yeah. And surprisingly, society did not collapse. No, it did not. Anyway. This uh, hand count of hand-marked paper ballots, as crazy as Alex Wagner and VoteBeat worked to make it sound, got underway this week. And what do you know? It worked out, at least so far, reportedly, pretty well. On the very first day of counting on Monday, VoteBeat published an update to their story, noting that Lycoming County counted 23,486 ballots on the very first day of its hand recount of the 2020 presidential election. That's more, I should note, than 30% of the ballots. They were done in a single day. Even though we had been told by VoteBeat that it would take three weeks to complete the count. Workers encounter, encountered no major problems, VoteBeat reports, only minor discrepancies in the number of ballots expected to be contained in some of the batches. But at a rate of 49.4 ballots counted per minute, the county should finish tallying votes from the approximately 60,000 of them by Wednesday or Thursday. Wow. Sounds nightmarish, doesn't it? <laughs> I hope they're all OK out there in Lycoming County, Pennsylvania. By Thursday, then, VoteBeat released another update to their story. And for some reason that I don't understand, they deleted the first update that made everything sound like it had been going pretty smoothly. And they replaced it with a new update that sort of seemed to paint a problem or two along the way. This was at 4.30 on day three of this hand count. Over two and a half days, roughly 20 county employees hand counted more than 59,000 ballots at an average pace of 55 and a half ballots per minute. So they got faster and better as they went exceeding the county's original expectations. With extra time at his disposal, they report, Lycoming County Election Director Forrest Lehman had workers recount roughly 18 batches of ballots where the number of ballots counted, the number of ballots counted by employees did not exactly match the expected number of ballots in that particular batch in many cases. So this it sounds like it's not the the number of votes for each candidate, but simply the number of ballots that were Counted At the end of the night at a polling place, they tend to count, oh, 300 people voted. We have 300 ballots here. And then because they had extra time because it all went so easily and smoothly, <laughs> they said, well, let's go back and count. We got some numbers that aren't matching up completely with the election night numbers. In so many let's cases, reconcile everything. Right. Employees had discovered that the mismatches were due to human error in the recount process, not to the original count from poll workers on election night, which, by the way, was also a human process as they tallied the number of ballots that were recorded as being cast uh, on election day, though uh, VoteBeat reports it, you know, oddly as if, oh, see, humans can't do anything right. They say this discover this discovery underscores the inaccuracy of hand counts. <laughs> really? No, really. All it does is underscore the utility of having human beings look at it and recount it until like, they are confident that they have the right result. That you can go back and check if there yeah. is a discrepancy. You know, anyway, those performing the hand count 
also made a series of other basic errors. They uh, vote beat reports. For example, one team of ballot counters turned in a tally sheet where they had made 41 tally marks for one particular candidate, but they wrote 44 in the total line. That 44 was then crossed out and 41 was written next to the total line. So it all matched up. This is the type of error they're talking about. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? They were able to check to and correct any discrepancies so that everyone could have confidence in the process. These are good things. These are good. Th- there was another problem where they uh, counted 408 ballots. Turned out there was 412 ballots. They found out, oh, that's because there was some that were stuck to the bottom of the box. Again, they checked, problem solved, questions and concerns answered, even with a you know, question of about three or four ballots total being a concern here. The election director, Lehman, expects to release numbers on the changes in the overall number ballots of ballots and, and candidates total votes later this week. And he hopes to have a more detailed report on how the recount went later in the month. So far, anyway, it sounds like it all went really well. In the original vote beat report on this, the reporter here, Carter Weber, Wrote, audit the vote, PA volunteer and lawyer Karen DeSalvo said in a statement, quote, we have paper ballots for a reason. We want to see if the paper ballots match the machine counts reported. In response to a follow-up question about whether she thought the recount would assuage concerns, DeSalvo said she didn't expect the findings to be off by more than a few votes. She said rebuilding trust in the local process is the ultimate goal. And while that sounds reasonable... I would add our elections are not actually built on trust. They are built or should be built on public oversight and sunshine oversight, which has now been accomplished in Lycoming County, where a bunch of folks who had rightly or wrongly zero confidence in a result that they had not been allowed to oversee for themselves because it was all done inside a computer. A computer which does it either correctly or incorrectly, there's no way to know unless ballots are tallied by humans to find out. Well, the uh, election director there, Lehman, said that he thinks the current balance between technology and manual work is about right, but he recognizes that not everyone will be convinced. He said in the original article, quote, we've got to find a way as a country to get away from where we are now. He said it's okay for people to not be okay with the outcome of an election, but it is not okay to have the conversation we're having right now. It's not okay to only trust elections when your candidate wins. He says that is extremely corrosive. Yes, maybe, but one way to help prevent that is to hold hand counts, to prove to the skeptics that your non-transparent computers had it right in the first place. It may not convince everyone. But some folks are too far gone to reach. But if you really want to restore confidence in our democracy, Mr. Lehman and VoteBeat and Alex Wagner, one way to start is to help the skeptics see for themselves that they were wrong. Unless they turn out to be right, which you will also never know unless you publicly hand count hand marked paper ballots. Luckily for the voters of Lycoming, they had them to count in the first place, and it's about time that someone did. Green News Report is next in the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
The Bratcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Yeah, I get a little excited <laughs> about transparency and oversight and hand counting, hand paper ballots and so forth. So let's get to it. Yes. Running late, our latest Green News report. This past year, we saw pretty much everything that climate change has to throw at us. Extreme weather cost the U.S. more than $1 trillion in just seven years. NOAA finds the last eight years have all been the hottest ever recorded. Plus, it is a day ending in Y, so there's another freakout going on over at Fox News. Fox pretends the Biden administration wants to cancel your kitchen stove. <laughs> all of that madness and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Joe Biden's climate change agenda now targeting your kitchen. Biden's coming for your gas stove. A ban on your gas stove. Ban gas-powered stoves. The White House is now attempting to ban all (laughs) gas ovens. You know, if it wasn't for pretend outrage, Fox News wouldn't have anything to be outraged about at all. This is your Green News Report. If the maniacs in the White House come for my stove, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Okay, Dizzy Doyen. Uh, first, they were going to ban your light bulbs. Then they were going to ban your hamburgers. Now, apparently, if you watch Fox News, they're going to come to your kitchen and haul your stove right out of it. Yes, and it's not just Fox News. Republicans are also lying about this. Go figure. Again, turning valid (laughs) concerns about toxic pollution from gas-fired kitchen stoves into a new culture war. And no, Biden is not trying to take away your stove. It is a lie. In fact, the administration will give you something like $800 to buy a new stove, if you wish, you're welcome. Yes, that is thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act. Passed only by Democrats, not by one single Republican. In real news, the U.S. saw $18 billion extreme weather disasters in 2022. That's 18 weather events that caused more than a billion dollars each in damages, led by Hurricane Ian and historic drought in the western U.S. Climate disasters in 2022 collectively caused $165 billion in damages across the nation, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and killed nearly 500 Americans in one year. Climate scientists at NOAA say it's part of a trend of hyperactive disaster years, and they warn that the trend is unlikely to reverse. The series of atmospheric rivers pummeling California is almost certain to be the first billion-dollar weather disaster of 2023. Yeah, at least a billion. NOAA also reports that extreme weather disasters have cost the U.S. more than $1 trillion over just the past seven years and killed more than 5,000 Americans. Back in the 1980s, the average length of time between billion-dollar disasters used to be nearly three months. Now it's just 18 days. So seven years ago when they were telling us we just don't have the money to do anything about climate change that was well 
a trillion dollars ago. Globally, 2022 was the fifth hottest year on record since record-keeping began in the mid-1880s. That's according to the European Climate Agency, Copernicus. NASA and NOAA are expected to reach similar conclusions in coming weeks. Copernicus also found that the eight warmest years on record have all occurred in the last eight years. Europe had its hottest year on record and rising global temperatures caused record-shattering heat waves across the northern hemisphere, catastrophic flooding in Pakistan, and intense relentless drought in the U.S., China, and Europe. 2022 clocking in as the fifth hottest year is quite remarkable because it comes in a year with a cooling La Nina pattern in the Pacific Ocean, which does not bode well for the next El Nino. So if it wasn't for the La Nina that's supposed to cool things down, can only imagine how hot 2022 would have been. Yep. And yes, extreme weather disasters are increasing in frequency, and man-made global warming is making heat waves, storms, and droughts worse. That's according to a sweeping new report from the American Meteorological Society this week. Scientists are increasingly able to pinpoint exactly how the weather is changing as human activity heats up the Earth. But climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann, in an interview with MSNBC, cited climate action, like the passage of landmark climate provisions in last year's Inflation Reduction Act and the acceleration of clean energy in Europe and China as reasons to keep working. There is urgency, but there's also agency. There is still time to avert the worst impacts of climate change. And we have to be able to hold two seemingly incongruous thoughts in our minds at the same time. It can be possible that we're seeing substantial progress while there isn't yet enough progress. Maybe so, but then why are they coming for my kitchen stove? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. See, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to shut them burners down. Down, down, yeah. so we can keep it cool. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our yeah. producer, and thanks to all of you at home or wherever you may be for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Collect them all. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons, you will find me at the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. As many of its own members privately admit, Congress has become a pay-to-play lawmaking casino, closed to commoners but offering full-service access to corporate powers. But there's another government entity that's even more aloof from workaday people, and it has become a handmaiden to the corporate elites trying to increase their dominance over us, the Supreme Court. The six-member right-wing majority on this secretive powerhouse now routinely vetoes efforts by workers, environmentalists, students, local officials, voters, and 
all others who try to rein in corporate greed and abuses. Appointed for lifetime terms, this autocratic tribune takes pride in being sealed off from democracy, even bragging that they make rulings without being influenced by special interests. But wait, in makeup and ideology, today's court majority is a special interest, for it consists of corporate and right-wing lawyers who've obtained their wealth and position by loyally serving corporate power. And far from now being isolated from moneyed elites, the judges regularly socialize with them and attend their closed-door political meetings. There's even a special little club called the Supreme Court Historical Society that frequently reveals the cozy, symbiotic relationship that exists between today's judicial and corporate cliques. Such giants as Chevron, Goldman Sachs, AT&T, and Home Depot pay millions of dollars to this clubby society, gaining notice by and the appreciation of the Supremes. And yes, these special interest gifts are accepted even when the corporations have active cases before the court. This is Jim Hightower saying the judges insist that there's no conflict of interest because this access to them is open to all. Sure, all who can pay $25,000 and up to get inside. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you lowdowners who subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Hightower Lowdown. You know who you are. Thank you.